Hi everyone, it's Melissa Pemberton here, host of Mending Families, where we will talk all things parenting, trauma, and healing. Hey everyone, it's the first Mondays with Melissa in October, and I am so excited that you are here This month, we are talking all about domestic violence because October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And as a survivor of domestic violence myself, I feel it's important to make sure that we are getting information out there and helping to help people better understand what domestic violence, also also known as DV, so if you hear DV, that's what that's in reference to, um, helping people better understand DV and abusive relationships. Because if you're not in it, if you haven't experienced it, it's really easy to cast judgment and say, why don't they just X, Y, Z? Why don't they just do this? Why don't they just do that? And it's really not that easy. It's not that simple. It's really complicated. Um, and last week I talked to my friend, Ashley, she shared her story. And if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen. It's really good. It's really inspiring. But she did mention a few of the um, control tactics that those who are in an abusive relationship experience with their abuser. And um, she, she referenced manipulation and love bombing specifically last week. And so today I'm actually going to go through 13 games that are played in a not good games. These are power and control games. This is not Monopoly. (laughs) This is power and control games that are played in a relationship with an abuser and a victim. And I think it's important for us to understand what these power and control tactics are and how individuals can use them to gain or maintain power and control over another individual. Um, because that's really how it starts. It starts with these little moments, these little, um, we'll talk about them, these little games and it builds and it builds and it builds until the person, the victim is really stuck in it and really unsure of themselves. They don't trust themselves and they don't trust their judgment. They're not even sure what is up from down. And so, um, and sometimes it ends up with the abuse becoming physical. Um, I don't know what the statistics are with how many abusive relationships include physical abuse. Um, So I I actually don't know that, but I do know that not every abusive relationship includes physical violence, that abuse can be emotional abuse. It can be um, sexual abuse and it can be physical abuse as well. It, It can um, really be deeper than just the physical violence that we oftentimes think of when we think of DV. So um, before I jump in, though, I just realized I should have given a trigger warning. I should have said, hey, if you have little ones in the room, put earbuds in or <laughs> listen at a different time. So I apologize that I didn't do that sooner, but there, there it is. Um, also, if you are in a space where you maybe are recently have left a a DV situation or you're in a potentially abusive relationship, this could be a hard episode to listen to. Actually, the four episodes in October that will be about domestic violence could be hard to listen to. So that's just kind of a trigger warning that um, if it is upsetting to you, please feel free to turn it off. Nobody ever has to listen to any of my podcasts 
And, but if, if you want to listen and you find that it's upsetting, you can also reach out to me and I can give you some good resources too. So I'll put in the show notes, some great resources for, um, those of us that are on the outside of abusive relationships. And those of us who are, um, maybe in the midst of an abusive relationship and some resources on how we can help or how we can get out or what we can do to take the next steps in healing. So, um, okay. So today we're going to talk about 13 games that abusers will play to have power and control over another individual. So, um, just to keep things clear, because I am going to be talking mostly about, I am going to be talking about adult to adult relationships. Um, but I do want to say that if you're a parent and you're listening to this, please kind of just in the back of your mind, pay attention to, do I do any of these with my kids? Because if we're not in a good space, if we are in the midst of our own healing journey and maybe we're processing through some stuff, it's easy for us to use these with our kids unintentionally. But if we're moving in a place of healing and growth and we become aware that we're doing it, then we can do better. Then we can stop. Then we can say to our kiddo, hey, that was not okay. That You should not let people do that. And I'm going to try and do better with that. And you can repair. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. If if these sound like maybe something you've done with your kids, let's try to work on growing. There's no shame here. This is just all about growth and healing and moving in a different direction than where we were. Um, so with that, because this is going to be mostly adult to adult relationships, I, it could get confusing about when I say, you know, I don't want to keep saying abuser and victim because I just. I don't want to just say that over and over through this podcast. And so as I'm describing these different games, these power and control games, um, I'm going to use the, I'm going to say person one and person two, because it just will help keep things clear. And person one is going to be the person who in, in every scenario I describe is going to be the person who has the power and who is playing the games. Okay. So that's person one. And then person two is going to be the person who is, um, uh, uh, the one that is experiencing the confusion and the games and the power and control tactics tactics that is experiencing it. Okay. So it, to keep it simple, person one is the abuser. Person two is the victim, but that's what we're going to go with. Okay. Okay. So the first game that we're going to talk about is gaslighting. And gaslighting is a term that I think has become overused and under misunderstood. So overused in our, you know, um, culture in just the way that things are right now in our world, you hear gaslighting used a lot. And probably three years ago, no one would have known what that was unless you were a therapist or in the field of psychology. Um, and so it's overused a lot. The term gaslighting actually comes from a movie called Gaslight in, that is from 1944. So it's an old movie. But the premise was there was a husband who was trying to convince his wife that she was crazy so that he could put her in an asylum and I think like take her jewels or something. Um, and so he did different things. But one of the things he did was he slowly turned the lights down. They were oil lamps. And so he slowly turned them down over time. So it wasn't just a one day thing. And 
convinced her she, when she was noticing, like, it seems darker in here. It seems like the lights are dimmer. He convinced her that, no, that's just you. It is definitely not. It's the same. There's something wrong with you. Convinced her she was crazy, essentially. And that's what gaslighting is. It's using these tactics for the sole purpose of making someone question their own sanity. That's what gaslighting is. And so it's overused. People use it in so many ways, just flippantly, that it doesn't, it's not actually that. So um, some examples would be if um, person two comes to person one and says, hey, when you did that, that hurt my feelings. And person one would then respond with, gosh, you're so sensitive. Here we go again. Everything has to be such a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. And the more that that, so it's not just that one time, it's over and over and over. This is how they respond. So eventually person two starts to think, maybe I am overly sensitive. Maybe I am overreacting. I must be too sensitive. I must be overreacting. And they start to question their sanity, start to question like, how they feel. They, they, they question their own feelings. Like that is what leads to us not trusting ourselves, right? Because our own bodies should be the one thing we can trust. But when we are made to believe that we're overreacting, you're too sensitive over and over and over, then we start to question that. Um, another example would be if person one, um, or I'm sorry, person two puts a towel in the bathroom for person one to take a shower. Person one goes in there They take the towel off the towel rack and put it somewhere else. And then they make a big deal about how person two did not put a towel on the towel rack. And person two says, yes, I did. And this happens over and over. So again, it's not just this one time. It's this is a pattern that then starts to lead person two to think, am I not putting that towel on the towel rack? Every time I swear I'm putting it on the towel rack, but he is, he or she is convincing me that it's not there. And so then you start to question yourself that you're actually not doing what you think you're doing. It makes you crazy. So that's gaslighting. It's the idea that you you start to believe that you're crazy. You start to question your sanity. Okay, so number two, the second game is called um, projection. And projection is the idea that that person one is going to project their own um, uh, traits or behaviors that they don't like about themselves onto person two. So the best example for this is if person one is having an affair, then they will start to accuse person two of having an affair. They will start to drop little nuggets of, why are you home late? Are you seeing someone else? Or who's that? Who's that? Are you, who are you texting? Is that it's someone else? Is that someone from work that you're having an affair with? They'll start to drop those. But the reality is person one is the one having the affair and they project that onto person two. Um, also another example would be if person one has anger problems, um, then they will accuse person two of being the one with anger problems. When person two says, why do you got to be so angry about everything? It's, not me. I'm not the one that's angry. You're the one that's making a big deal out of this. So they project that onto person two. Okay. The third one is moving the goalposts. And the idea behind this one 
is that no matter what person one asks person two to do, it's never going to be good enough. And even if person two does exactly what they think they were asked to do, person one will come back with one more thing that they should have done. They should have known, right? So an example would be person one says, hey, can you clean the house before I get home from work? Person two cleans the house. And when person one gets home, the house is immaculate. But they say, what are you doing? I asked you to clean the house. The front porch is awful. It needs to be swept and clean and tidies. There's cobwebs. You did not clean the house. I asked you to clean the house. So that is an example of moving the goalposts. It wasn't good enough. It's never good enough. Um, so this is something that we need to um, be aware of and pay attention to. Okay. The next one is induce stress, relieve stress. So person one is going to induce stress onto person two, but then they're going to come in and reduce that stress. So it's going to make this like power um, cycle where person one is saying, oh my gosh, we don't have enough money to to keep the house heated. What are we going to do? We're And so now person two is stressed about how are we going to have heat for the kids? Do we, what are we going to do? Maybe I'm going to have to get a second job to make sure that we can pay this bill. And then whether it's the next day or a few weeks later, person one is all of a sudden going to say, Oh, great news. I was able, I found some money or I came up with this or I got it a bonus or whatever it is. And we're good now. And so now they have come in and relieved the stress for person two and person two, all of a sudden is almost indebted to them. Like, Oh, I could not have done that without you. Thank you so much. Right. But the reality is that money was always there. Person one just used that strategy to have person two be more dependent on them. So they induce the stress and then they relieve the stress. Okay, silent treatment is, let's see, what are we on? One, two, three, four, five. Silent treatment is number five. Silent treatment is just how it sounds. It's silent treatment. It's the cold shoulder. It's all of a sudden something is not right and person one is not talking to person two anymore to the extent that person two starts to question like, did I do something? I don't even like, I, I thought we were fine. And they start to think through yesterday. What did we do the day before? It was something last night. Did I talk in my sleep? Did I say something this morning? Is it because I didn't pack his lunch? Because person one is just giving them the silent treatment. And when you ask them, when person two asks them, Hey, did I, did I do something? Their response is a very short. Nope. And very cold, very brief, silent treatment. Um, and so it starts to uh, cause person two to question, what did they do? Again, this it's all in them. They are questioning, what did they do? But the reality is they probably did nothing. They probably did nothing. Okay, now we're on to number six. We're on to the blame game. Blame game, again, this is another one that's just like it sounds. So um, the person, one, who wants the power and control will blame anything and everything onto person two. Anything and everything is their fault. Um, if person one gets reprimanded at work, it's because of something person two did. It's because you texted me all the time at work. That's why. Or... Uh, um, 
or I always have to come home because you're always sick. That's why, that's why it's always their fault. Um, or we never have enough money because you always spend it all. Even if spending it all is for groceries and things for the home, it, they put it all back on person too. So it's everything is their fault. Blame, 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 blame game. Okay. Love bombing is number seven. And this is where the person who has the need for power and control might start to question or have a sense that person two is starting to pull away or that person two is starting to question the relationship and whether it's actually healthy. And so they will love bomb. They will be so kind, so loving, so complimentary, buy them gifts, have roses. Let me do that for you. Can I give you a back rub? Um, you want to spend time with your friends, go spend time with your friends. And all of a sudden they are just the sweetest, most caring, most empathetic, most thoughtful partner. And it's, it's that charm that they use similar to the charm they probably use to get into the relationship in the beginning, because that's very common. Um, and so the love bombing happens and it, then it makes person two start to question, well, maybe it's not that bad. This is all the reasons why I fell in love with them. These, these are all the things that it's still in there. They still have it. This is all the things that I love about, about my partner. And so they stick with it. And before we know it, we're back to all the other abusive things that happen, all the other games. So that's love bombing. Okay. Now we're on number eight, playing the victim. Um, so playing the victim is when the person one will tell a story to person two, whether it's true or made up. So it can be completely false. It can also be true, but it's usually exaggerated. So that person two feels bad, feels sorry, feels compassion, um, tugs on the heartstrings and, oh my gosh, that is awful. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And, um, it, it, extreme levels is person one will threat suicide. Like that's, this is an example of playing the victim. And so that's hard because then person two feels like I have to help them. I have to do something to help them so that that doesn't happen. And it becomes this power and control game where person one is in control of what they say and how they can get person two to respond to them and maybe buy them new stuff or maybe get them to be the one that works while they stay home because it's just too hard for me. I can't work. I'm, I'm just suicidal right now. And so now all of a sudden person two is working 60 hours a week while trying to raise the kids while trying to do all the housework, all of that. Um, so it's, it's playing the victim is this one. Um, Okay, now we're on to number nine, denial. And denial is the person one will never say sorry. They will deny that they ever did anything wrong. They will just deny it. And um, most of the time it's because apologizing or repairing is foreign to them. So this is one of the reasons why it's so important for our kids to experience repair and to know that when we do make a mistake, it's okay to repair. It's okay to have 
ruptures in relationships, but we don't walk away and we don't deny that we did anything wrong. We own it and we say sorry and we work on it and we um, repair because if we don't have that modeled for us, then we don't know. And we have the, then that we risk falling into this trap of being that person that denies that they ever did anything wrong and can't say sorry and doesn't know how to apologize. And that is foreign. So let's not do that to our kids. Let's give them the opportunity to practice this. But that is what denial is. Okay, we're on to number 10, which is playing the hero. So playing the hero is um, when person one will do anything they can to be the one saving the day. So they'll be the first one to volunteer for all the things. Um, They will be the first one to raise their paddle at the charity event and say, I'm going to make the largest donation here so that their partner or people around them see how wonderful they are. Um, they might be the one to lead a youth group at church and, um, or, or lead other things at church, like the head pastor or the tech team or whatever it is. It's that person is, um, the hero because they are making good things happen. They are leading this team or they are leading this, um, you know, this group of people in a place, they're making good things happen. And so then it makes you start to question yourself because behind closed doors, person one is not like that. They aren't the first to volunteer to get up in the middle of the night when the kids are sick. They aren't the first to volunteer to help clean the house when their mom is coming over. They're not the first to volunteer. They're not the first to help, but in public they are. And so they put on this persona, they put on this um, display that they are the hero. Sometimes too, we might see that they will seek out um, relationship with somebody who is apparent to those around that they are in a bad space, that they are dealing with some stuff that maybe they are um, emotionally not well. And so then they will swoop in and be the hero with that person. Um, meanwhile, again, on behind closed doors, that's not who they are. So then we have number 11, which is lying. Um, and lying is just what it is. It's presenting your false self. It is, you have to lie about everything. You have to, um, you have to be present, present yourself as the highest, best, most important. I have the most connections. I, drive the best cars. I, but it's broken right now, but I drive the best car. You know, it's just bold faced lying and it's to gain more attention. It's so that people will want to talk to them. And so people will see them as important. It's so that they have the attention on themselves. And, um, that one is pretty easy to, to recognize. And so, um, but the problem is like, if you're in that relationship with that person, you can't call them out. Because what are they going to do? They're going to say, what are you talking about? That actually did happen. And potentially some gaslighting might happen or potentially some denial or potentially like some of the games that we've already talked about. You can see how these kind of start to wed together, right? Okay. Um, now we are on, I think, 12. So number 12 is guilt tripping. Um, it's when, again, the 
so it's similar to the blame game because they're going to blame everything on person one is going to blame everything on person two, but then they use the guilt to get the other person to do something for them. Um, so they are going to blame person two for not cooking enough food when we had guests coming over. It's your fault. Why didn't you realize that we wouldn't have enough food? So person two is going to feel guilty and they're going to go, instead of visiting with the company that's over, they're going to go make more food, which is what person one is requesting. Actually, could you make this specific dish? Because I really like it. And now person two feels so guilty that they didn't make enough food for their company because person one made them feel so guilty. They are willing to make that dish for person one because they feel so guilty. It's this cycle, right? Um, that's a really basic example, but um, yeah, it's, it's blaming them. So they feel guilty and then they will do whatever person one wants them to do. Okay. The last one is baiting and, um, there's several motives for baiting. So that's why I saved this one for last because there's actually some different um, motivations behind why person one might bait person two. Um, so one one motive is person one um, wants to elicit an emotional response from person two. So they might start an argument, push buttons that they know are buttons that they know are going to be a thing for person two until person two gets mad. And then they're going to accuse person one of being out of control, of not, of being too angry, of not being able to talk about their feelings. Um, and so it's, it, they've baited them because they know that that's the response they're going to get. Another motive would be to get personal information. So then they can use that against person two later. So they might ask them specific questions, bait them to get information out of person two that then down the road, they can use against person two. And then the third is um, to just really to bait them in a way. The motivation is to just maintain, assume and maintain the power position. So it might be, um, that person one starts a conversation with person two, that is going to make person two feel vulnerable. And then they're going to just keep the conversation going on that topic. And it's not going to be able to be, um, redirected. So there's these ways that this game of baiting can be used to control the other person in different ways, whether it's emotionally or using things against them or just assuming the power. Okay, so those are the 13 games that people play in power and control relationships. And keep in mind that these can be on a continuum. So if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about, let's see, playing the hero, we have somebody who never plays the hero to somebody who oftentimes plays the hero. And then there's in between. So when we're talking about these games, it's not like this person does this stuff every single day over and over and over. It's, it can be on a continuum. So you might see gaslighting happening all the time, but you might see some of these others, not as often, like maybe on a scale of zero to 10, it might be five out of 10. Right. Um, and so it is on a continuum, which is also 
something we needed to pay attention with our kids. So if we are finding ourselves kind of moving up that scale of, wait, I used to never do this with my kids. And now I'm finding myself doing this more often. We need to nip that, right? We need to stop that and figure out what, what is that? What, what I'm, what's in me that I'm doing that with my kids. And we need to get to the root of that and do some healing work on ourselves and repair with our kids and let them know like that wasn't okay. I shouldn't do that. That's not an appropriate way to, to be in relationship with somebody. Um, we also can see how I referenced this already, how all of these kind of like web together and how they kind of like layer on top of each other and how playing the hero can play into baiting and how that can then play into guilt tripping and how that can play into gaslighting. And it kind of all, they, there's this, this layering that can happen. So, um, it's hard to see because of that. Sometimes it's really hard to decipher. Like, is this what's really happening? Am I actually being gaslit? Am I actually being, you know, love bombed, what is happening right now? And so that's part of why I wanted to create this specific episode is to just really go through what they are and give some examples so that we can maybe take a step outside of ourselves and our situation and say, oh yeah, I think that is happening. And if it is, talk to somebody that that would be the first step. Talk to someone safe, whether it's your best friend or your therapist, or, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to, um, in an anonymous hotline you can call to just talk through. Also, if you live in the Spokane area, the YMCA has great advocates that you can, um, or I'm sorry, the YWCA has some great advocates that you can talk to and they can kind of just let you listen and let you kind of share your story and, and um, be an advocate for you to help you better understand somebody from the outside that can help you process your relationship and and see maybe some of these are coming into play. If you're someone who is not in a relationship that you're questioning this stuff, but you're on the outside and you're you're thinking, oh yeah, that I feel like I see that with my neighbor or I see that with my best friend or I see that with my sister in her relationship. Don't accuse anybody of anything. But maybe just have a gentle um, conversation to say, hey, I'm noticing this happening more and more in your relationship. Can we talk about it? I'm concerned. And if they say, nope, we're good, we're good. Just you just need to let them know, like, I'm here. I, I'm, I am always going to be here no matter what, even if it it takes time, right. I'm always going to be here no matter what, because one of the things I know I can speak for myself is I was embarrassed when I finally realized like what the situation was that I was in, I was embarrassed and I didn't want to have to deal with explaining to everybody what happened and why did I even marry this guy in the first place? Don't worry, not my current husband. (laughs) He's amazing. Um, I didn't want to have to do that. And honestly, I, I had to answer those questions anyways, but I didn't want to. I wasn't ready to do that. So if you're someone on the outside, just just be there. Um help help your help the person in your life know that you will not judge. You do not judge that there is no shame, that you are not there to do anything but support them and love them and help them through it. Okay. You guys, I think that's good for today. It's a lot. Next week, um, I have Teresa Eggleston on, and she is a therapist. 
um, a marriage and family therapist. And she also recently opened up a healing center in Spokane in the Hilliard area. And we talk a little bit about that. So that's exciting. Um, but she shares about, um, we, we talk about domestic violence as well and how somebody who is in it can maybe move in a direction of healing or how we can help um, somebody from the outside can help someone who is in domestic violence relationship, things we can do. So it was a really good conversation. I'm so thankful that Teresa came on and shared her wisdom and her knowledge. And so that is next week. Um, so come back and I'm excited for that one. And I will see you guys next week. Have a great rest of your week. I just said week like seven times. <laughs> okay. Bye. I'm so excited that you found this podcast. And I hope you join me every week as you go through your own journey towards healing. One thing I truly believe in is that trauma awareness is so important to our future generations. And it starts with you.